Welcome to the God is Just Like Jesus podcast. Today we're going to take a look at an Old Testament passage, which is often confusing, but I'm hoping to reveal the goodness of God in it. As a quick introduction, I'm going to remind people that all the resources are available. You can look on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Pandora, and you can search for God is Just Like Jesus and you will find our podcasts available. You can also search for God is Just Like Jesus on YouTube, and there's a little bit on Facebook and Instagram. The other real resource is the book that you can find on Amazon, again, by the title, God is Just Like Jesus. All of that is really very inexpensive. Most of it's free, and it's really to help people see God's goodness so that we can trust Him. So what do you think is the key to having faith in God? What do you think the key is to having faith in God? Let me say it a different way, just so you can think about it for a moment. What do you think the key to having confidence in God is? Just take a moment, hit pause if you want to on your device, and really try to answer that question. What's the thing that helps us have confidence in God or have faith in Him? And it's simple, but it it is profound. So if you want, hit pause throw a few things out, and then come back. For many decades of my life, I've tried to answer that question. How can I have more confidence in God? And it's so critical because sooner or later, there are problems in life. We don't have enough money to pay the rent. We have a struggle in a relationship. There's some pain or suffering there is health issues, and we really get in those places. Thank God they're not all the time, but where we really, it's out of our control and we really have to lean on God. And so it's really important to figure out how do we trust God. And really, that's the heart of the issue, is looking in various places and finding out that God is good. And if you really look and see that he's good, then you can trust him. You can lean on him and have confidence in him. Now, that that sounds really trivial at one level. Oh, I trust God. But it's not the good times that really test that, or I shouldn't say test, that that really reveals, uh, are we really trusting in God? Are we leaning on him? Are we trusting him in a way we would look at a chair and we would sit on it and we would trust it to hold us? That's a whole different thing. And that's what we're trying to grow in our ability to communicate with God and actually be able to sit in the chair and not be flexing our muscles the whole time holding us up, but really letting the chair hold us up. Really trusting God that he's going to help us in our situations and fear always assaults us in those kind of places. And so we need ways to learn to trust God more. And There's many ways, right? We can read scripture and see that he's good. That's the first one we're going to look at today. We can pray and have conversations with him and the Holy Spirit can, you know, interact with us and and encourage and strengthen us. You can listen to other people's answered prayers. A lot of times you'll look at the podcasts that are available and one of them is called When God Came Through. And that's remembering our stories of when God really answered a prayer uh, not just any prayer, but when it was really out of our control. And if you go back in your life and you think, wow, that was a situation. It was totally out of my control. God really came through. And when you focus on that, faith rises in you. Your confidence increases for today's struggle. And you want to say, hey, 
If you did that back then for me, you can help me with this situation today. So listen to that podcast. And then the last thing you'll find in these podcasts or one of the other things is God is just like Jesus worship. You know, you look at the goodness of Jesus and it reveals God's goodness and then you can lean in and trust him more. So there's five different ways. We're going to look at this one in terms of looking at scripture and we're going to look at this passage from Genesis 19 about Sodom and Gomorrah. We need to be able to see that God is actually good so that we can lean on him, right? That's what I've been saying. We need to see that God is trustworthy. There's no point in trying to trust God if we don't think he's trustworthy. There's no point in having blind faith and, you know, somehow trying to say, oh, I believe in God, when really in our heart we have tremendous doubt. We all have fear and doubt in different ways, in different areas. But as we take history event after history event through the Old Testament, New Testament, and we see, wow, God's actually good there. I misunderstood the situation. And now that I've gone back and really understood the passage, wow, I can take a breath. God's good and he's trustworthy. I can rely on him and it helps us take another step forward. So I thought Sodom and Gomorrah is so applicable. What's interesting is that many, many modern people refuse to look deeper into this passage and many Old Testament passages and New Testament passages to really understand what's going on, what's God's, you know, where's God's goodness in the whole thing. And many people nowadays, they really wrestled and struggle to see that God's good. And there's, you know, many people that accuse God of being evil, like, wow, why is God always running around in the Old Testament, you know, being mean to people and smiting people or killing someone? And there's answers to all those questions, but we've got to take the time to look. So this is going to be a quick look at just one small passage about Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me read this for you right quick. This is Genesis 19. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but I'll work through it hopefully quickly. And just to tell you, God and Abraham in Genesis 18 have been having a discussion back and forth, and and Abraham's learning to intercede or pray for other people. There are no perfect people. Everybody has various levels of sin in their lives. Some people are actively working to get rid of that and reach into greater goodness and other people, well, they don't give a damn. So there's different attitudes in life about the evil in our lives. Some will admit it, some won't. Some are working to grow in goodness and some are not. Um, and I want to just tell you, there's no perfect people because while Abraham is imperfect, he's also interceding for imperfect people in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. And so in this passage, like Moses in Exodus 33, you know, God's interacting with a human and training them to pray for other people and to intercede for other people and to care about other people. So as you read it, and you're looking at the dialogue back and forth in 18, you just got to understand that's how God is growing up Abraham. So after they have this discussion back and forth in Genesis 19, it says, 19.1, it says, two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. Remember, this is two angels that appear like, well, they look like a couple men. They say, we'll spend the night in the square. 
But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and they entered Lot's house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. And before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot and they said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Now, I disagree with this whole part of, you know, this is broken culture in the Old Testament. But Lot says, Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these two men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Now, of course... With a greater understanding of God, Lot wouldn't even have said that because that's a horrendous thing to say and offer. But um, the men, they yell at him and they say, get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow, meaning Lot, came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge, i.e., you know, tell us what to do. The men keep saying to Lot, we'll treat you worse than them. I mean, that's quite a threat. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moving forward to break down his door. But the men, that were the two angels, inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, both young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belong to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, there is a small town near enough to run to. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. And so, essentially, they let him go. And in the end, it says in verse 27, early the next morning, and then in verse 23, by the time... Lot reached Zoar, which is the little town he ran to. The sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought out Lot from the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. It's a great passage because it's very, very intense, and a lot of people bring 
a lot of accusations against God in the Old Testament. And you can work through one after another to really understand what's going on in these times. Because you have to remember, this is 4,000 years ago, or, you know, some of the Old Testament stories are are 3,000 years ago, or some of them are 5,000 years ago. I mean, you're talking about ancient history, and we just don't understand the barbaric cultures they lived in, the the warring tribes, the raiding of tribes against other tribes, the, the pillaging, the stealing, the raping, the armies, the bloodshed. It was... I mean, we think we understand it, but it's just such different cultures. So people will bring all kinds of accusations against God in the Old Testament for things. Why is God so evil? Why is God killing people? You know, why is God mean? You know, Monty Python, you know, will joke about God smiting people and whatnot. In this passage, you know, at a very basic reading, you have to ask people, look, if you're angry with God for destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, then that must mean you're on the side of town of rapists. Do we stop to think about that? And the really interesting part here is that when the men come out of the city or the town, it says in verse 4, before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom both young and old, surrounded the house. So this is not a problem with one guy that's that's a pervert, that's a rapist, that's an evil person, right? This is not 5% of the city. It says all the men from every part of the city. And it's not just some corrupt, crazy old guy or some corrupt, crazy young guy. It's young and old both. When you really start to understand the story, you're, you, you get this understanding that the culture of the whole town or city or these two towns, two cities has been changed so that it's so evil that many of the men, if not most of the men think nothing of assaulting visitors and wanting to physically rape them. And it's so vile. That, you know, sometimes we skip over that quickly. But if people are angry with God in the Old Testament, like, why did God kill somebody? Go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and say, look, the many men, the whole town, they were rapists. And they were coming out to rape these villagers. And so they got put to death. There is nothing wrong with that in terms of capital punishment for repeat offenders and really violent rapists. You know, you have people that get concerned with doing evil, and yet they also want to accuse God of evil. It's like somewhere there has to be a court system. Somewhere there has to be justice. And these people were guilty of heinous crimes, whether raping men or women. And it's only justice that they face the courts and they're incarcerated, thrown in jail. And in this case, in the Old Testament, there was capital punishment. And so when people have this like intense anger at God uh, for killing people, we need to come back and talk about justice and talk about you want evil to proliferate. So that's one whole point. If, if people are accusing God of evil in the Old Testament for killing people, then, you know, the first point is, so you're on the side of the rapist and people really need to wrestle that. The second point here is 
when the whole culture is given over to evil, and it's not just 1% or 2% of the population that are evil people that need to be thrown in jail, but it's the whole culture. It's, you know, you have to ask yourself, um, would you like to have Nazis living right next door to you? Would you feel good going to work and leaving your wife and kids at home or your wife going to work and leaving you and the kids at home? If, if Nazis are living right by and maybe you're Jewish or you're, uh, a, you know, Hispanic, black or a gypsy or other people that they persecuted. Right. So when you start thinking about it, well, yeah, how would I feel if Nazis lived right next door to me? You might start to understand, wow, I wonder if God was protecting other towns around Sodom and Gomorrah so that they weren't infested as well with this evil act of rape through their cultures as well. So instead of accusing God of evil, maybe we need to start wondering if God's justice in the Old Testament was meant to protect other villages and other towns around there. So those are two points to think about. A third point is this. You know, it's really interesting. If the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had been more inclined, they had chosen to do what was good rather than run down the paths of evil, if they had reached out to God, if they were praying, if they were connecting with his goodness, well, it might have been just like Noah's uh, visit to Nineveh, right? He went to Nineveh. The Lord told him to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't even really want to because the Ninevites were the, uh, the enemies of the Israelites. He went to there and said, look, um, repent, turn to God. And the people did. They repented from their evil ways and actions and thoughts and feelings. And, you know, they didn't do it perfectly, but they repented and turned to God. Well, guess what happened? The Ninevites were part of the Assyrian Empire and Babylon was partnering with the Medes, uh, the Medes, and they were coming to destroy Nineveh. But since the people repented, that army did not come to Nineveh at that time. Now, later in the future histories, it did. But though that generation was spared because they listened to God and they repented of evil and they turned to do things that were good. You just have to ask yourself, wow, if these people had been willing to listen to Lot, I mean, they, they said, hey, Lot, you you know, We'll rape these guys. We'll rape you. I mean, it's even, they, he goes, we'll, we'll do worse to you if you're back talking us. So instead of being so vile and so evil, if they had been willing to listen to Lot, maybe Lot would have told them about Abraham and the Lord. The Lord would have intervened potentially to tell them, Sodom and Gomorrah, you need to, you need to listen to me. These volcanoes are going to explode. And if you will listen to me and you will be in relationship with me again, not that you're perfect, but you're willing to partner with me, you're willing to respond to me instead of the devil, I will warn you of these volcanoes and you can escape before they destroy the whole plane. The Lord, that's my understanding of his good characters, he would have warned them and helped them get out of Sodom and Gomorrah if they were willing to savor goodness instead of wickedness and evil, right? And hopefully that's just a new spin that people can take on. Wow, the Lord loves to deliver people. So anyway, that was one additional point. 
The last thing I really love in here, point number four, is that Lot is hesitating and he has fear about going and this, that, and the other thing. And and God actually has the angels take him by the hands with his wife and his daughters and actually pull them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And isn't that amazing because he's troubled, he's afraid, he's scared, all kinds of stuff. And the angels help him actually get out of town and be safe. And so that's just a, a fourth point to see God's goodness in this whole in this whole passage. So lastly, I want to read you a verse out of Ezekiel 18. It's a really simple verse, but Ezekiel 18.23 is an amazing verse that talks about the character of God. And the whole chapter is really, really good. But in, in Ezekiel 18.23, the Lord says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Right? I mean, think about hardened rapists that would come out in a gang to gang rape other men or other women. He says, do I take any pleasure in the death of them, declares the sovereign Lord? And the answer is no. He goes, rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their evil ways and live? Again, that whole verse tells you if Sodom and Gomorrah, if those people had have turned away from some of the evil they were doing and turned to the Lord, he would have spoken to them and helped them avoid this volcano that was going to wipe them off the, the, the face of the earth. And so I don't see this as God actively sending the volcano to smite them, as some people see it. I think God knows what's going to happen in natural history. He's been reaching out to them because that's his character. And so they have told him no time and time again, just like Pharaoh rebelled against the Lord. And finally, he understands history is going to unfold. The volcano is going to happen and it's going to wipe them all out. And they're going to die because they wouldn't respond to me. They'd only respond to the devil. And so, wow. I mean, it's just a whole different picture of God's character. He's not out there trying to smite. He's not out there sending the volcano. He's reaching to everyone on the planet, whether they're on the desert island stranded or they're in the middle of New York or L.A. and in, in an urban area. God's reaching out to everyone and wanting, trying to get them to listen and to turn to him and to turn away from the the devil and his thoughts and his emotions and his actions and, and repent and come to him. So when I when I hear people saying, oh, God's so evil and this, that and the other thing, I, you know, he kills all these people in the Old Testament. I just think, I don't think so. I think you need to go back and look at the passages you're upset about and find out what's really going on there. And again, if you want a parallel, what if Nazis moved into your whole hometown? And it's not just one or two percent of the the um the people in your town, what if it is 60% of the people in your town are Nazis and they're watching you and they're plotting your death or the abuse of your sons or daughters? You would want God to step in and do something, and he does. So in, in the Old Testament, we're tremendously confused about why God permits certain things and is it God doing it or is it just a volcano that's going to explode? But, but, because they won't listen to him, you know, they end up getting killed by it. And the way the scripture's written, it's like, you know, the way it's written, it says, oh, the Lord sent the volcano. It's like, well, let's think about this a little bit, right? He would have communicated with them. So hopefully we'll talk about some other Old Testament passages in addition to this one. 
So finishing all that up, I just want to say when you wrestle through a passage in the Old Testament or the New Testament, when you see, wow, God's actually good. Yes, Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed, but it was the majority of the people involved in that sin. And it was the sin of rape. Like, are you on the rapist side? Uh, or do you understand now God, what God was doing? And you're like, oh, God, you're good. I, I had no idea that you were protecting potentially other towns around there. You were protecting future generations Think about us, how many ever thousands of years later, what if the vision and values of Sodom and Gomorrah grew up to encompass, you know, millions or hundreds of millions of people or a billion, and that world culture affected the year 2022, and we lived among people that they were committed gang rapists. You would say, wow, no, it was good you know, sorry they had to die, but it was good that God put them down. There is such a thing as justice, the court system, and capital punishment. Wow, if they won't turn back from rape, then then I don't want them abusing my children, my wife, my husband, my, you know, family. Wow, God's good. So when you see God's good, you can trust him more. And, and that is so important because when the time is are good, you know, you can sing your your enjoyment of God to him and you can pray and say, Lord, I just, you know, I appreciate who you are. But when times are tough and you got to lean on him and trust him, you have to know he's good and he's not evil. And then when, you know, you need the money for the rent check or you're facing a health problem and you've got to like, God, help me through this. Um, you know, when there's a, a key relationship that's broken or in pain, you can lean on God because you know he's good and you can say, I know you want to intervene. You want to speak to me. You want to help me. I'm not sure what you're going to do, but I know you want to do something and you can pray with confidence because you know he's good. So that's just a quick look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, there's resources out there. You can listen to our podcasts on Spotify. Pandora, Apple iTunes, just search for God is just like Jesus.com. 